Hello and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 90, Sharing is Caring. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught in medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, looking after all the content the BMJ student will be producing this year. I've also finished my fifth year of medicine at the University of Oxford. Today we're joined by our panellists Patrick and Ramney. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Well, hello everyone. My name is Ramneet and I'm a second year graduate entry medical student at the University of Birmingham. Hello everyone. Patrick is my name. I'm a final year medical student at the University of Galway in Ireland. Amazing. It's so nice to be recording with you both today. Um, Thanks very much. 100%. It's good to be back (laughs) as a team. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I'm also really excited to uh, welcome our expert guest today, Dr. John Lorna. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, yes. I'm a medical educator with a background as a, a GP general practitioner. I was in practice for uh, about 30 years, but, but now work just in medical education. And I specialise in, in uh, interactional skills, which is uh, why I've been um, identified as an expert mm. on this occasion. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Super excited to have you all with us today. So we've talked before about how one's own experience of illness can affect their practice. um, But does it also influence how much you share with your patients? In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about physician self-disclosure. That is all the things we as future doctors might share with our patients. We'll be asking how appropriate it is to share your own stories with the patient and how you know when the timing is right to do this. Today, we're going to be focusing on stories of illness and health, but we'll also be talking about identity um, in some future episodes. Yeah, so this is um, a topic that I've been thinking about for a while. And one of the reasons why I started thinking about it is because I um, was once talking to a doctor who said that she has miscarried in the past. And that is something that she shared with her patients, um, but very, very occasionally. And it kind of left me thinking about how we as medical students can ever know when the right time to kind of share with our patients um, personal stories about our own health or things that have happened to us. And John, I just thought, thought we'd kind of start with getting your perspective on that. Um, what what do you kind of do in clinics? Do you ever share stories about your own health with patients? Um, I, I think the answer is uh, sometimes I have and often I haven't. Um, it's a subject that comes up a tremendous amount when you teach communication skills, interactional skills, either to medical students or, or to doctors. Uh, the conclusion I've come to over many years is that it's really impossible to have hard and fast rules. Uh, it depends on the doctor, it depends on the patient, it depends on the moment. And I, I think I'm much more interested in the question of, of why might one do it when should one not do it, Um, and so on and so forth, looking really at the subtleties, the fine grain of disclosure, rather than trying to get some broad brush rules. Yeah, and hopefully that's something we can can get into today and kind of try and unpick that together. Um, Patrick, Ramney, have you got any kind of experiences of when this has happened to you or when you sort of started thinking about this? Um, So uh, I've had a couple of experiences where I've shared um, stories about my own health with patients. It's the kind of thing I kind of do very rarely. I'm lucky at the moment I'm in good health um, and I don't have any chronic conditions. Well, actually, in fact, I've one chronic condition, but it's it's very well managed. I've asthma, so it's uh, pretty easy to manage. 
Um, I definitely found myself sharing that with patients when I was on the peds wards or, you know, kind of in clinic chit chat. I think it's uh, it's very difficult to talk about a condition where you've had experience with it yourself and not take it from your own perspective. I, I think that those two things are very difficult to separate when it's something that you've experienced yourself. No, 100% Patrick. I think I agree with that as well because, um, well, I've got like a chronic condition, got fibromyalgia and with that, because I'm also myself kind of struggling to come to terms with it and also still flitting between like, you know, what's the best way to manage it. When it comes to actually having patients, you know, when I'm talking to patients who themselves have chronic illnesses, I think it depends on the patient and there have been there's you know definitely been an instance where I felt comfortable enough to share about my experience about having day-to-day life of a chronic illness because I felt that the patient needed it at that time because they felt quite isolated so I think when a patient feels quite isolated and not heard I think that was what they were saying they were like you know you don't understand what it's like to go through this the pain I've got and how it's debilitating and inside I was like I actually do I actually do know what you're you're going through and I can I can empathize with you and so that, that's when I feel like I can step in. And I can say that, OK, actually, you know, I, I get where the, those worries and those concerns, where those anxieties are coming from. So I think in that circumstance has definitely helped and that reassurance. But then, you know, it, it sometimes I think it can take a bit of a turn, um, you know, especially with one one encounter with a patient uh, where I had, you know, bonded over the, the fact that, you know, we both had fibromyalgia, where when it came to uh, down to like how we both individually managed it, I think that's where I kind of felt a little bit a little bit uncomfortable because obviously I was, I, you know, when they asked me, well, how are you doing it? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing X, Y and Z. And then they said, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this. How come you're not doing it this way? I think that's when I suddenly started feeling a bit, oh, you know, how do I go about this very carefully in a way that doesn't make them feel like, oh, I need to now go, go back to my doctor and, you know, get a change in treatment because they're doing this. So yeah, I do think it really does depend on what the patient's like as well. Yeah. And John, I feel like there's a lot there already. Like, could we maybe try and start to unpack some of that and kind of get get your thoughts on that? (laughs) Gosh, yes. What a fascinating discussion. I'd like to start by widening the discussion a bit because I'm thinking of things outside one's illness experience. I mean, for example, if a patient says to me, you know, I'm from Kenya, am I not going to say, gosh, I spent a year working in Kenya and which part of Kenya are you from? If somebody says they've got twins or they're about to have twins, am I going to withhold the fact that I'm a father of twins myself? I mean, there are things in a sense it would be uh, quite withholding not to say about your personal circumstances. And so the question is, when, when, when does it cross a boundary? And particularly, when does it cross a boundary in relation to illness? Uh, and I think, um, again, you know, if somebody says that they are about to have a medical procedure or they're, they're, they're scared of having a medical procedure, I, I'm old enough now that I've had a great deal of medical procedures mm. in my lifetime, some several times over, you know, including things that can be quite distressing, like angiograms, or endoscopies. And I think I have to make a fine judgment with each person. Is it right on this occasion or is it self-indulgent? I mean, by self-indulgent, I mean, I take over the conversation, say, oh, my goodness, let me tell you about my three angiograms or my four endoscopies. And that's, that's actually sort of taking up airtime that rightly belongs to them. But if they're exceptionally anxious, and I think it's 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 unwarranted in the sense that I've managed to get through a number of those procedures, I might think it is appropriate to say it, but 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 I but I would judge it in the moment. 
and and I think the people I teach who are largely experienced established practitioners including GPs I think that by and large they form the same judgment as well it's it it, it forms part of the narrative exchange with the patient and therefore has to be calibrated according to what you feel intuitively is the right thing then and there you, you may get it wrong but I think you have to make the best the best attempts you can at getting it right yeah, I totally agree, John, with what you said as well. I think, especially if a patient's, um, you know, about to have a treatment or procedure, and they, it took a lot of effort to even get to that point to make that decision, and you know, and it was hard to have conversations, and suddenly, you know, you turn around, and you start indulging about your own sort of illness or your own experiences. I think it can overshadow, and it can make them, you know, it kind of you kind of progress. You take a couple of steps back, I suppose, in that report as well. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Could I also add something about the ebb and flow of conversations or consultations that I can easily imagine saying to somebody, oh, I I, I have had angiograms myself and, you know, I can talk you through what it's like and how you might feel and so on. But, you know, what happens if they then say, gosh, have you got the same problem as me? You know, what's your heart problem? And I might reach a point where I feel actually I've, I've shared enough. I've shared enough that I think would be helpful, but actually I have my own privacy as well. Uh, and that's what I mean by the ebb and flow. I think you can't predetermine what kind of conversation you you go to have, but you can calibrate it as you go along according to the emotional temperature and how you feel yourself about your, your willingness to disclose. Yeah, that's something me and Ramneet were actually talking about just before this call, is sort of how to kind of control things when, when it goes maybe a bit further than you were you were sort of planning or expecting after that one encounter with that with that you know with yeah. that particular patient I've, I've definitely you know found myself being very careful um and knowing that i suppose the the line not to cross so yeah i think it's a learning experience and you do you do you are better equipped the next time round. i would say yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense um and then yeah just sort of wondering have have you patrick or Ramney ever seen kind of a doctor do this and thought wow they've managed that in like a really a really good way that I would I would want to kind of adopt their way of doing that in the future I guess I have seen it done but I've seen it done with kind of more like menial things I don't think I've ever seen it done where I've seen a doctor you know reveal a very uh, I guess uh, you know intimate or serious diagnosis and I don't know what constitutes that exactly but um, I think it's probably a lot easier to do like that kind of casual way of creating kind of an empathetic relationship and kind of opening barriers to communication. But uh, I've never seen it done with something like, I don't know, maybe something that has stigma attached, like a HIV diagnosis or, you know, problems with addiction or something like that. That's uh, something I would be curious to hear John's take on and whether that could ever be you know, appropriate if it's possible that the, a diagnosis might have kind of stigma attached to it. It's interesting. I was trying to think, have I seen it done? And I have seen it done. Actually, I've seen it done very badly. And, and maybe that would be a good cautionary tale that when I was a child, we had a doctor who was 
very prone to tell us about his problems. My, my, my mother used to go and see him and, 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 and say she had a particular condition and he would say, yes, I've got that too, and explain it and start to talk about it at great length. And on one occasion she had something wrong with her feet and, and he said, I, I've got that too, and actually, you know, took off his shoes and socks and showed her. And that was the point at which we actually changed, <laughs> wow. changed doctors because <laughs> my mother had, had enough of that. And I, I remember that. I remember that very vividly um and, and so there there's a cautionary tale i was also trying to think have i seen it done well and i can't remember a, a precise occasion and i was wondering why that was and it might be because it is a way of creating intimacy with patients it's a way of creating trust or it can be and therefore i might be less likely to see it when i'm sitting in with somebody when i'm observing a consultation when i'm seeing a video and somebody's recording they might be less likely to go there because they would think well this is this is something i would give to the patient as a kind of you know t- token of humanity um, in order to build their trust. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily do it with a third person present or with a video camera running. So I have a suspicion that we don't see the best examples of this because it's actually quite a precious private moment between doctor and patient. Yeah, and I wonder as well, actually, if um, there's a feeling that you're actually doing something wrong yes. by sharing that information. I think if there's a third party in the room, um, particularly if that's someone who's supervising you, I'm just imagining like as a medical student doing this I think I'd be much less inclined to do that yes absolutely and I also if I was if I was advising somebody about disclosure in the context of making a video for let's say the membership of the Royal College of GPs I would almost certainly say don't do it because the chances mm. are actually quite high that somebody would judge them harshly for it even though if they knew the full circumstances and the nature of the relationship, they might actually approve. But it is a risky mm-hmm. thing to do in a in an assessment mm-hmm. context. And I was also wondering, I don't know what, what you all think as well, in terms of the generational kind of differences. Like, do you think that, the, I feel like medical students and doctors who are in training now, like in foundation year, are more likely and more open open about their experiences. And I don't know whether social media itself has also shaped that because on social media, people are more open, posting things a lot more about like mental health, about physical health as well. So I don't know if you're obviously quite open about, you know, being public about that on a, on a, a huge platform in front of hundreds of people. Does that make it easier, I suppose, as well, just disclosing it to patients? But yeah. Uh, Ramneet, I definitely agree with you there that I think uh, like a a younger generation are much more open uh, to kind of self-disclosure or to kind of talking about diseases which have kind of had stigma in the past. I can definitely think of a couple of examples of like med influencers or kind of, you know, famous doctors that have themselves uh, disclosed like medical conditions on television or on their Instagram. I don't know necessarily that that is a good thing in that space because like I guess you're allowing kind of the masses to hear about whatever condition it is you know depression or hepatitis or whatever which can be good but I do think it kind of like it breaks down the barriers a bit too much between like professional and unprofessional relationship I'm not sure do other people agree with that it's an interesting point because I'm thinking there are some doctors who have been very public about their conditions and their patients might be quite likely to know. There's a a quite well-known psychiatrist who has written books about her own depression and they're out there in the public domain and clearly when she wrote them she was aware that her patients might 
read them and might want to discuss them and might want to discuss their own experience of depression. I actually think that's that's rather courageous, but I don't think she's alone in being in a situation where patients are likely to know about their doctor's condition. I, I, I had uh, quite serious eczema as a child, and then when I was a medical student, I was one of the founders of the National Eczema Society, and I wrote a lot of articles for them, and some of them appeared in popular magazines. So some of my patients would have known that I'd been an eczema sufferer, and would, might have chosen to come to me especially because of that, and said, look, I know you've had this doctor, how did you manage it when you were a child? And so in some circumstances, it can be very much public knowledge and if you like you know I had a, I, I had a, an identity as an eczema celebrity and no doubt <laughs> other doctors have got identities as celebrities in their own particular conditions and therefore it crosses the boundary between the the normal doctor patient relationship and and what's public knowledge. Yeah that's really interesting I think in one of our future episodes we're going to kind of come on to talking about how people might feel kind of comfortable or uncomfortable sharing sort of personal experiences and and things that people might know about them outside of work as well so yeah I think if we come back after the ad break to discuss sort of when it feels appropriate and when it might not feel appropriate to share our like stories of health and illness with a patient and we'll do that right after this message from our sponsor indemnity you've probably not given it much thought but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, Every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. So yeah, um, one of the things I, I wanted to kind of talk about is this idea of like, where is the line? Um, and Patrick, this is something you touched on earlier about conditions where there might be stigma attached um, to them. You mentioned earlier a HIV diagnosis, for example. Um, mental illnesses often still have a lot of stigma attached. And I mentioned miscarriage earlier. And I think it's quite interesting to sort of think about when it can feel appropriate or not appropriate to share those things in comparison to mentioning it in passing that you know you had that terrible cold that's going around as well last week something that's sort of a lot more a lot more minor and a lot more transient one of my friends raised a point that actually to share that you had a cold is is actually kind of useless like everybody's had a cold at some point or another and that doesn't actually achieve anything in the consultation that doesn't make the patient really feel less alone or do anything to break down stigma whereas to share to your patient that you have had a miscarriage miscarriage before when they might be miscarrying actually that's something that could could help I, I don't know John do you have any ha- have any thoughts on that I keep thinking about context and I keep thinking about timing and I'm thinking supposing I was seeing a, a surgeon about the possibility that I might have bowel cancer and supposing that surgeon had had bowel cancer themselves um I think I probably wouldn't want to know that straight away. I think I'd want my problems to be 
dealt with, but maybe it might be helpful a little bit further down the line for the consultant to say, you know, I've I've never I've never mentioned before, but just to let you know, I have been through this myself and I've come through the other end. So context and timing, I think, you know, for a gynecologist, you know, these are just hypothetical examples that I'm thinking through because they're the kind of examples that might come up in the course of my teaching. You know, would it be all right for a female gynecologist to say, yes, you know, I, I've struggled with endometriosis myself? Possibly, if the timing was right and the relationship was right, would it be okay for male gynaecologists to say, actually, my wife is an endometriosis sufferer? Uh, possibly not, even with permission. And th- these things, in a way, are so subtle, and, and they might change from doctor to doctor, from patient to patient, from moment to moment. But I think there are very, very large grey areas where it really does come down to professional judgment. I feel like, as well, from patient's perspective and even when you know when it comes up ourselves like anecdotal evidence or kind of narrative Mm. based uh, evidence is so much more powerful when Mm. you read it or when you hear about it oh my doctor's doing this versus like a a kind of you know a patient just delivering them like a meta-analysis of like the best you know (laughs) treatment options and like this is first Mm -hmm. line so we're not deviating Mm -hmm. from that you know 100% because I feel like I'd be so guilty because evidence-based medicine and patient-centered care is drilled in us at medical school so the fact that you know your little bit of anecdote of saying like hey, I've got this this is what I've done you know affects that I've just been thinking oh gosh you know they've chosen they've gone against the guidelines so yeah 100% agree yeah is that something you've seen happen John as well or had any experience of is, is patients sort of changing changing what they want to do based on that I can't think of a specific example but I absolutely agree that you need to weigh how influential your words are going to be with somebody. And the fact that you know, both Ramnit and Patrick have said that narratives are so much more powerful in affecting the human psyche than than evidence. And you could say, you know, there's a, there's a trial in Minnesota that shows that if you change from an ACE inhibitor to uh, some other kind of medication, you know, your life expectancy on average will increase by so much. And their eyes will glaze over. But if you actually say, yes, I'm on that drug myself, they'll take it. And that may be ethical because it's absolutely the right thing for them to take and they took some persuading. Or it may be absolutely unethical because you're using your personal influence to affect them. Again, professional judgment. I think what's hard about that is keeping in mind that as the doctor, you do have this this like influence um, often where patients really do kind of value what you're saying and take take a lot from that I guess the flip side of that would be that if their doctor is disclosing that they have a condition that is potentially very stigmatized there's something really comforting about that in a way that other people have experienced this too that sense of not aloneness yes although that also makes me think of a caveat that especially in general practice news gets round very quickly uh, and you probably don't want everybody in the locality to be saying, gosh, did you know that GP's got bipolar illness? You do need to be aware that narratives travel pretty fast. That's, again, one of my worries as well in terms of, you know, disclosing the fact that I've got a chronic illness, which affects my mobility sometimes. I always have that fear if someone finds out, you know, will that obviously travel? And then will they then doubt and be like, she can't no limit me and be like, you can't do X, Y and Z now because you've got this problem. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that as well. That's making me think 
It also depends on how much you trust the patient and what they will make of it. I mean, I, I've got an extremely non-stigmatising thing, which I, I, I happen to have a cardiac pacemaker. Now, I think in very many circumstances, I would just say in a casual way, uh, yeah, I've got a pacemaker myself. I've had one for six years. It's never caused me any problems at all. It, it, you know, it, it's got no stigma. It's got no no kind of uh, angle to it that that would make people judge me or my competence to be a doctor. But I can also imagine not telling some patients that, just not wanting to tell them. I mean, to, to put it bluntly, because I didn't like them or I did, you know, I didn't like them enough to trust that they might not use the information in some way to their advantage or, or they might use it to treat me as in some way impaired, damaged um, so I might choose to withhold it, even though it's such a non-stigmatising condition. So I, I just think it so much depends on the relationship. And then you come down to the atmosphere in the room again and that moment. Yeah, definitely. I I was talking to somebody before this episode um, about psychological safety almost and feeling, you know, whether it feels right in that moment to share. But then I guess one of the things that you kind of need to think about when you're doing that is are you ever disclosing to make yourself feel better and not actually to make the patient feel better I think I actually read um I think I read an article about this the other day when I you know when I was looking into this and there was something about self-therapy and that some doctors I think there there was a qualitative study and some doctors actually said that they found that by disclosing to patients about their illness it, it was a form of therapy which I found very interesting because I think you know when a patient comes to you um, and you're kind of in a consultation. It's it's about the patient again, patient centered care. So then having to bring putting yourself in there and it benefiting you and not the patient, it kind of didn't sit right with me. That is really hard. And we were talking earlier, Ramni, about like flipping the patient doctor relationship, where suddenly they're taking the role of the doctor or the therapist or whoever, and you're suddenly taking the role as the patient. And they're asking you, how does that affect you? How does that make you feel? In formal therapy, uh, I mean formal psychotherapy, it's never done. I mean, trained psychotherapists uh, would take it almost as a 100% rule that nothing was shared, nothing was known. And there's an argument to say that in that context, where you're trying to create, as it were, a sort of blank space for the person to talk into for the patient to kind of project their expectations and understanding of the world and so forth that that's absolutely appropriate but it does beg the question how much is the medical relationship like a formal psychotherapeutic relationship and and I think I think much less so I think the personal the what I call the semi-social comes into it more often in a general practice consultation especially with somebody you know it would be quite unusual not to start a not to start a conversation with a bit of social chat you know their family you know their kids you know their partners you know their neighbors it would be actually quite unnatural in a social way not to want to have a conversation about that at the beginning and therefore to to bring yourself in as a person i completely agree I think it's one thing to say, oh, that it's, you know, it's it's most professional not to disclose anything about yourself. But then I would feel if a, a GP did that to me and I had never met the GP before, I would feel as though they're too cold or something. A, a lot of the time, even if it, it's not self-disclosure about health, if it's kind of a, a chit-chatty kind of self-disclosure, which I think is a really important aspect of 
um, self-disclosure just kind of to establish a relationship as, at the start of a consultation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is that something you were kind of consciously thinking about in the past, Patrick, when you've kind of self-disclosed? You mentioned sort of if you were working on peds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's it's hard, like Ramanita said, like I guess if you're in a situation where you've met someone with a condition, um, it's hard not to self-disclose and, oh God, the inhalers, oh, tell me about it, you know. Um, <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, I, I find uh, from my perspective, I love a chat. So it's it's an easy way to start off a chat. And as well, it, it doesn't feel for me like it's kind of a stigmatized condition. So I feel like I can talk I can talk about it freely enough. But then I was going to say, Patrick, what about if a patient, um, you know, you're quite, if you, you know, you're quite chatty and you, you know, you like, you like a conversation. But then what happened if the patient was a reciprocating and they're just there, they just want to get their prescription or whatever and then just get out and they don't want to chit chats would you then self-disclose or not i guess at that point if i've kind of if i'm two or three questions in and i'm i'm getting nothing then i'm definitely going to pull back a lot and make it more kind of professional and kind of uh, courteous rather than kind of informal and chatty but i guess that's just depending on what the patient in front of me i guess would hope to receive um, there was another thing, um, John, that you talked about earlier that I wanted to bring up. I just I it kind of randomly want to interject with this. Um, but you were talking about the male gynecologist uh, revealing that their wife had endometriosis versus that the female gynecologist revealing they themselves mm. had suffered with endometriosis. And I just thought it was an interesting um, analogy because when I was kind of uh, f- uh, looking up things about self-disclosure in health uh, on um, online and kind of a few articles pointed to the fact that uh, there was a gender gap within self-disclosure and health. Men who self-disclosed were seen as more unprofessional, slightly more unprofessional, whereas females who self-disclosed were seen as more empathetic, so that it was an adv- advantageous to a female clinician to self-disclose, whereas it was disadvantageous for a male clinician to self-disclose. And someone earlier mentioned the the generation issue. I wonder how much it would be seen as more acceptable for a younger doctor to disclose than an older doctor. M- might be yeah, seen that is so interesting. might be seen as you know fitting with your generation, but a bit creepy if somebody of my generation does it. I don't know. It would be fascinating <laughs> to do research into that. <laughs> and it brings in a cultural dimension as well because there's certain patients from certain cultures who are shocked even if you ask them a question like what do you think it is and they'll say well you know you're you're the doctor you tell me what it is you know because in their countries nobody would ask a question like that it's just countercultural for them and I would imagine patients from cultures like that would be horrified by disclosure because it would be more even more untypical for a doctor to to disclose to them than it would to, to even to ask them for their own opinion. Yeah I think I think a lot of it is about kind of trying to pick up on those cues that Patrick mentioned earlier with like, you know, if a patient is quite, quite closed off when you start talking about things. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to kind of unpick. Um, and we'll discuss some more of these big questions right after this advert. I'm Dr. Matt Morgan, and alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. 
you can get access to our personalized revision resource online and in our app for years one to three totally free as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximize the best use of your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders, and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to passing first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app. So yeah, this is all really complicated and yeah, I guess it's it's difficult for medical students to think about how we actually start doing this. Um, so yeah, John, do you have any kind of key pieces of advice or wisdom that you can impart to medical students on how to, how to navigate this? Um, I would say try it out see what happens test the waters get it wrong you will get it wrong we all get things wrong right the way through our careers and we learn through getting things wrong and we re-educate ourselves and we recalibrate ourselves i i suppose the overall guidance is don't think there is an absolute rule against disclosure because a lot of patients will feel you're very withholding and as patrick said earlier rather cold if you're completely withholding. Um, But equally, don't be self-indulgent. Don't just think, you know, here's a platform. I've got a a passive patient who I can say absolutely anything to. Yeah, I think that's a really unnatural feeling for medical students to think about getting it wrong. Like, Believe me, there are far worse um, things you'll get wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess a lot of this is something that comes with time and experience. Patrick Remney, is there anything you want to ask about like how to, is there anything you still feel like uncertain about how to navigate? I, I just think it actually feels quite refreshing to actually have a conversation about this, you know, because you always are on the fence about this sort of thing. But actually hearing like John actually, you know, talk about it from his own experience and actually say it's fine to test what actually is quite reassuring. And actually feel from this take, you know, go away. I feel like, yeah, it's fine. I can disclose it as long as it's in the right sort of context and I can make that judgment myself. So, yeah, I think it's quite refreshing. Um, I'd agree that it's very refreshing to get the chance to talk about it. I feel a lot of the time that we're talking to patients we're usually alone in the pa- with the patient or with other students. And I think if we're with an examiner or a kind of one of our you know, mentors or a clinical lead, there's no inclination whatsoever on our parts to open up in any way because it's just you're just you want to be as kind of as professional as possible. You're not going to, you know, try anything out. You're not really going to test the waters, whereas I do feel like it's it's interactions where you're talking to a patient, taking a history for a long time and you do start to build a relationship a little bit or it's a patient that you've met before that that's kind of when you can have some of the barriers come down. There's one other fact that we haven't mentioned that's where you work geographically because if you're on a remote Scottish island and you're the only doctor there and there's a population of 700 people all those 700 people will know you and they'll know your kids Uh, then their kids will go to school with your kids and and there will be no secrets so the nature of the relationship that you have with them will be entirely different to if you work in a suburb of Birmingham where you know you commute in from 20 miles away and nobody really has a clue who you are in kind of personal or uh, social terms it, it, and and that is actually going to affect how much you're willing to share as well 
it's funny actually johnny you said that because um i um, i'm also like a pharmacist side so when i locum i'm more likely to self-disclose about my yes. issues rather than when i'm actually you know in a permanent kind of fixed location yes. so i find myself yeah being like it's fine i'm not gonna you know i might be here till another couple of months or i might not even come <laughs> back so i could yes. just i could just get away with it i could just tell them and it doesn't matter yes. i won't see the patient word won't travel so yeah that's quite, yeah. It's quite funny that you mentioned it <laughs> Yeah, it depends where you are, who you are, who you're with, who's exactly. watching you, all those things. John, I actually had a question um, that I wanted to ask. Uh, so say, for example, you had a barrier to communication, uh, like, a, like a diagnosis of autism, or if you were deaf in one ear, for example, and that was going to affect your communication with the patient or with every patient, rather. Should you disclose that right away or do you think you shouldn't disclose that at all? Again, I, 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 it depends. I mean, I can't count how many times in the last half hour so I've said in one form or another. It depends who, who I was with and what the circumstance was. I think if I had a significant hearing impediment, I think I would feel obliged to say on professional grounds, would you mind speaking a bit louder? Um, I, I, I have a hearing difficulty. Autism is a very interesting thing. Again, um there might be circumstances in which you actually wanted to say that um, for whatever reason. You might also want to say to a parent, actually, one of my ch children has been um, diagnosed as autistic, again, depending on the relationship and the circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, and I just had a question as well, John. Earlier, you mentioned, you know, trying things out and getting it wrong. Um, have you got any like advice to students on how to navigate it if, if it does go wrong or if things things don't land in the way that you might have wanted? Number one is obvious, which is apologise. Number two is don't be too harsh on yourself. And I suppose number three is you never know what the long-term effect will be. I mean, as a GP, I've certainly had somebody walk out and slam the door saying, you're a fat lot of use, uh, but then come back three weeks later and say, I've been thinking about what you said and actually I think you were right. So you just have to factor in that uncertainty and also the uncertainty. You may never learn what the effect was on them. They, they walk out and that's it. And you're left guessing, was it right to disclose? Was it not right to disclose? And, and, and you don't know. But then you don't know the outcome of an awful lot of your encounters. I actually once had a GP who disclosed something in a consultation and it was probably the best GP appointment I've ever had. It just like really went a long way to kind of break down any awkwardness or any embarrassment and yeah really put me at ease in a consultation and she retired shortly after that appointment and I'll she'll never know that that was a appointment that actually really meant a lot to me although I think hopefully it was obvious at the time that you know that that was really helpful but yeah you're right it's, it, there's a lot of uncertainty with things like this. Yes I saw a consultant cardiologist over 20 years ago who said something that had a profound effect on me, which he would never have learned, except that my son met him <laughs> recently and, and told him I remembered him and I remembered how profound the effect had been of what he said. So he learned it, I think, probably yeah, well over 20 years later, he learned from my son that <laughs> it had had that effect. You just never know. And, and I mean, that's also part of the beauty of being in the profession long term. Um, that that you have these very very longitudinal relationships, but also relationships that are interrupted and then resume, and then you learn something that you didn't know. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that is that's a really nice aspect of medicine. Um, kind of, we talked earlier about knowing when to disclose and trying to pick up those cues from a patient. Um, John, I think when we spoke before, you said that sometimes asking is just the best way forward. And I wondered if you could elaborate on that a little bit for us on what that would kind of look like in a consultation. Yes, to to check it out and to say, look, I've been in a similar situation myself. How helpful would it be if I shared some of that with you? And it's a tricky question to ask in a way because people might feel obliged to say, yes, tell me. But uh, they might say it in a very in a very open way. Yes, I'd love you to tell me. Or they might say it in an equivocal way that um, that, that, that signaled to you that even though they were saying yes, they actually meant no. And then you'd respond to that as well. But I think you can frame what you're going to say by asking them, is it information they would want to know or not? Yeah, I think that could be could be a really good way of approaching it. Patrick and Romney, do you think that, like, how would you kind of feel doing that? Do you think that would feel okay in a consultation? Mm, I think I do like that because I do feel like it actually kind of gives the patient an option. But then I just feel like they just probably would most likely just go with it and just say yes. And it puts them in a bit of an uncomfortable position. And it also detracts away from the beauty of suddenly just just going with it and just saying it as well within the conversation. Because the whole, you know, the whole kind of kind of breaks down that formality and, you know, kind of eases, I suppose, um, the patient. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that one. Uh, I think I agree with both John and Ramneet in that. It would be quite awkward, to be honest, if, if you declined when a doctor was like, oh, and I think I would like to share something with you. And you were like, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd rather not. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you <laughs> know, um, but like, I guess it does give the patient, at least it gives them a little bit of like a warning shot so that it allows them to hear that news a little bit in a less surprising way. But yeah, no, I, I, I kind of like it like that. I'd say a couple of things in response to that. One is they could say yes, but shift uncomfortably in their chair and look horrified. And you'd know that was a no. And you'd know to then to say very little, even though they'd said yes. But the other thing, and that follows up on from what Ramnit has said, is, is, is to trust your spontaneity as well. Because there can be something very leaden if you're doing a consultation by the textbook. And, and, and some consultations could just be fun. And why not? Definitely. That's that's like the GP appointment I was describing earlier. I sort of made an off-the-cuff comment and the GP then jumped on that, told an embarrassing story about her own life, um, which when I told friends afterwards, they said, oh, I'd have been horrified if someone shared that with me in a consultation. But she just picked up on the cues in that appointment. And like you said, John, it was just, it was, it lightened the mood. And it was, yeah, it, I think it did what she intended it to do, essentially. Yeah, and just kind of kind of linked to that as well, I suppose. Um, I was talking about um, when kind of feels like the right time to share and kind of that, like working out how you're going to share and how to phrase it. And somebody suggested doing like a silent disclosure in your own head before before you say it out loud and really interrogating that and like mapping out not only what you would say, but more importantly, why you're saying it and like kind of really reflecting on that. Um before it comes out of your mouth because I guess sometimes it can feel like a really irresistible urge to speak and share but that might actually not serve a serve the purpose you want it to yep that's very helpful ask yourself the question what could possibly go wrong (laughs) and if the answer (laughs) shocks you don't say it (laughs) yeah that sounds that sounds quite helpful 
This has been huge fun. Thank you. Yeah, that's all we have time for today. Um, thanks so much to our panellists for joining us and to everyone at home for listening to this episode of Sharp Scratch. If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review um, wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Um, next time, we're going to be talking all about um, what actually is the BMJ, what is BMJ student and how you can get involved. So get in touch if you have any questions about any of that. Um, you can find us at BMJ student on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. And we'll also be coming back to kind of touch on some more aspects of this conversation about sharing, more in line with sharing parts of your identity and parts of your life outside of medicine with your patients. So yeah, if you'd like to hear other episodes from us, uh, subscribe to Shop Scratch and in two weeks time you'll be notified of the next episode. Until then, goodbye from us. Bye.